Welcome to Season 1, Episode 17 of Family Planning for Docs, Thriving or Surviving. This podcast is an extension of our platform at www.familyplanningfordocs.com, a website created from Canadian medical trainees to highlight useful information about family planning in a medical career. Our group has a mission to inform medical trainees about their options regarding family planning while navigating training, career, and personal life. Our research has demonstrated that personal stories are highly impactful, and we hope to provide access to a diverse number of stories to current trainees. On our podcast, we hope to capture the stories of medical professionals who have navigated the training process and a medical career while planning parenthood, parenting, and the supports that they had along the way. In this episode, we have Dr. Peter Ferguson. We are thrilled to have you on our podcast today, and thank you on behalf of the entire team for sitting and chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So we'll start with the first question. What does a day in the life of Dr. Ferguson look like? Yeah, so um, there's no doubt it's uh, it's it's jam-packed full of activities. So um, I would say an average day starts with... Um, me getting up, uh, I live just north of the city, so I got up about 5.30 in the morning, have breakfast and coffee with my wife. Uh, usually I arrive at the hospital by around 7 o'clock a.m. There's usually teaching rounds for our residents and fellows and students that go till about 8 a.m. And then most days there's clinical activities, either surgery or clinics that, that occupy my time from, from about 8 a.m. to roughly 4 p.m. or so. And then several days I have uh, administrative meetings, academic meetings, uh, you know, various different other um, commitments that, you know, can take me to around about 6 p.m. It, it certainly used to be pre-COVID that a lot of these meetings were done in person downtown. Uh, COVID has obviously introduced us to this new era of, uh, of virtual meetings. And so a lot of the times these meetings are virtual, which, which you know, does make it a little bit easier to, to, uh, to commit to attend. And also, you know, I am able to do meetings in the car, getting home or sometimes from home as well. But that's mm-hmm. my typical day. Sounds like it's very jam-packed, as you said before. It is. Um, And how many years of training did it take you to be where you are now for our listeners that may be interested? Yeah. So, um, you know, the same sort of training entering medical school, certainly I did three years undergraduate, four years medical school. Um, I did uh, a five-year orthopedic residency, but in addition to that, I was in uh, what's called in Toronto, the surgeon scientist training program. So I did a two years uh, master degree in the middle of my uh, residency. So it ended up being seven years of uh, orthopedic residency, uh, including the master's and then one year of clinical fellowship. So um, the the total amount of post-secondary education is about 15 years. We know that you're involved in a lot of leadership positions and, um, you know, roles outside of just your clinician role. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the leadership positions you've either held in the past or currently have now? Sure. So uh, I love teaching. Teaching is, you know, one of the things that I think sets academic surgeons and academic physicians apart from uh, community surgeons and, and physicians a lot of the time. Uh, it is the most appealing sort of component of my job is being able to teach students, residents, 
um, and, um, and fellows. I guess about 13 years ago, 14 years ago, our, our chair approached me because we were starting a new educational platform within orthopedics, um, sort of highlighting competency-based education, which people probably know a little bit about now, and asked me if I would head this up. So uh, I became the associate program director in orthopedics, uh, specifically with a portfolio that involved looking after our pilot competency-based uh, stream residents. And at the time, there were only three residents a year. Uh, this was the first surgical training program in the world, as far as we're aware, um, that um, sort of focused on a competency-based rather than a time-based approach to education. So mm -hmm. I, I did that for a couple of years, and then I was asked to be the program director, uh, which I did for another two and a half years. And then um, the the chair's job in orthopedics became available, which I applied for and, and um, I've been doing for the last uh, the last 10 years. I have one more left uh, in my in my tenure. So uh, really, uh, it's education that has been what has driven me in my uh, sort of administrative pursuits over the last several years. That's amazing. And I know as a University of Toronto student myself, the uh, faculty are very passionate about teaching. And I, that definitely reflects in, I guess, the competencies of the residents and students. So as you know, our goal of the podcast is to chat about you and others about how they've fit family planning and family building while also balancing this amazing medical career. Um, what inspired you to start a family? Was it something that was modeled for you earlier in your life or something that came later um, in your career? Yeah, I, I, I think it's all something that I always wanted. Um, my, uh, my wife and I, um, we you know, we're together, have been together a long time. We met right when I finished high school. My wife was, uh, was still in high school at the time. So, you know, we're sort of high school sweethearts. And so oh. from a very early stage, um, you know, we, we had thought that at some point in time, we wanted to have a family. We were, you know, both came from family centric backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and it's just something that, that, when I, you know, was growing up, uh, that I always assumed that um, that that you know I, I would have uh, that I would have kids and be able to you know hopefully pass on some of the some of the things that I had sort of gleaned from my own parents onto them. Mm -hmm. So it's just something that was uh, just in, innate in my upbringing. And in terms of a timeline or planning for when you wanted to have children, when did you decide that you know your wife and I were going to start having a family? Yeah. So well. Um, it's, I think, a little bit hard to plan for this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in fact, our our eldest was a bit of a mistake. Uh, <laughs> oops, it, uh, it happened uh, not not by plan, um, okay. but you know, we're very happy that it did happen. Uh, you know, um, I think that we had always planned to uh, to consider having children at some point during my residency. Um, I, I when I started residency, I think I was about uh, twenty. 26, 25, 26. And so, you know, I was thought it probably at some point during residency that would happen. And um, it, it probably happened just a little bit earlier than I had expected. And do you have just the one child or do you have other children as well? Yeah, we have two. Two. Amazing. Yeah. And did you have both of them during residency then? Yes. So the, um, the thing that was, I think, fortunate, to, even though it was probably by accident rather than by design, 
is that uh, we had both of our kids when I was uh, in the lab doing my surgeon scientist training. So, um, and in fact, I would uh, encourage if people are considering this and planning it, it, it actually is a really good time to do that because I didn't have at the time the overwhelming clinical commitments. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was very interesting when my, my daughter was born two weeks into my, my first research year in, in, um, in July of my first research year. And uh, she was born, I think it was on a Thursday night, a Friday morning. And I, I went back to work in the lab on the Monday and my supervisor saw me and he said, what are you doing here? I want you to go home. I want you to go home, and I want you to spend at least two weeks at home with your with your wife and uh, and newborn baby. And so that really impressed on me at that time, sort of that value of uh, of you know ensuring that uh, that we take time with our with our newborns and our uh, and our sort of burgeoning families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've had a lot of guests on the podcast that are at different parts of their training. Some of them, you know, are currently having children or are residents themselves. Was there a paternity leave policy in place at that time? What, how did the residency programs go about, you know, um, navigating their students taking time off to family plan? Yeah. So at that time, there was actually no policy. And, and um, so I think that's one of the... Um, you know, significant uh, beneficial evolutions over the last several years are, mm-hmm. are sort of these policies that are in place. So at that time, th- th- there was nothing. Um, certainly from a paternity point of view, I would say that that it was almost unheard of that mm-hmm. people would take some time off. And um, so I think that that is, you know, certainly a, a significant accomplishment and achievement and advancement over the last several years is this opportunity uh, for people to uh, to take an extended amount of time off. And you know, in the last sort of 10 to 12 years, I've had a number of residents um, uh, who have taken maternity and, and particularly paternity leave off. And it's something that I strongly encourage uh, our residents to uh, to consider. That's really great to hear that the, you know, culture has changed quite a lot. And there's a lot of um, advancements, both systems wise, and then both on an individual level to support um, residents and then, you know, physicians to be for that. So that's great. When you think back to that time, um, were there any challenges that you experienced as a resident or as a as a new parent while also balancing this this career? Yeah, I, I mean, I trained in uh, a bit of an old school environment, right? Um, you know, my my training was over twenty years ago, and that was still in an era where you didn't go home post call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you would do one and two call for extended periods of time. There were no work hour restrictions, any, anything like that at all. And, you know, there's no doubt at all that, that um, you know, and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll bring up a quote from my, my young son way back when just that, that exemplifies this. But, there, you know, there really was, um, you know, was not as great an opportunity for us to sort of designate time for self. It was work first and and um and family second um when i was uh starting my practice so you know again about 20 21 years ago uh, i would bring my kids kids in to to round in the hospital with me and and um so my son at the time was about four or five and we did our award rounds and and came down to my office afterwards and, and my wife asked my son you know did you have fun he said, yes, Is, did you want to be, or do you want to be a doctor like daddy? And he said, from a five-year-old says no, because then I'd never get to see my kids. 
Um, so it, uh, it really struck me at that time that, um, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right? I mean, that's the, that's the true truth of things. And I think that that's been a significant improvement in the last, uh, in the last several years, for sure, that, that we're really focusing on uh, resident and physician well-being and encourage people to take time, you know, with their families. Um, you know, I evolved over the course of my career to, you know, ensure that I did designate time for, um, you know, for family activities. But during my residency, uh, I must say, and I must admit that, um, that that was difficult to do. It was difficult to navigate and dedicate time to the entire family. Mm-hmm. And what were your biggest support systems at that time as you were navigating um, those challenges? Yeah, I mean, look, I had a very understanding wife. She, you know, she's been with me from the very beginning and and she knows how things work. She's seen how things work and she she accepts it. Um, she understands it. Um, we don't always like it and didn't always like it, obviously, but but she understands that that's what the what the commitment is. Um, and, you know, I, extended family as well, um, you know, very supportive. They've, you know, they've seen how hard I've worked over the years and ensured that um, that we had opportunities to, you know, spend quality time. If it's not always quantity time, it's certainly quality time together. You know, at at work, again, I would say that certainly in surgery, we're probably behind, uh, you know, other other disciplines and other specialties when it comes to, um, you know, sort of developing policies and uh, ensuring that that time is protected for, you know, for family activities and, and parental leave, that sort of thing, right? So, I would say, um, you know, more recently, it's, you know, becoming quite clear that all of these things are encouraged, but, you know, encouragement isn't the same as implementation. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, th- I think that we've got a long way to go still to ensure that, that you know, physicians in practice, surgeons in practice, you know, can take time off, um, still ensure that their, their patients are looked after, still ensure that they get a reasonable income during that period of time. Um, recently, I spoke with um, Dr. Elisa Greco, who is also the head of vascular surgery, and uh, she was talking to me about how, you know, there have been more conversations about, you know, designated spots for parents to uh, either breastfeed their child or, um, you know, have have that time allotted so that you're able to kind of balance both of your roles. Um, have you sat on any of those conversations? Is that something that you hear, especially in a surgical specialty like orthopedics? Sure, sure. I, I hear it. Um, I have not to date been certainly party to a lot of these discussions. I mean, you know, we, we do have high level discussions at the Department of Surgery around prioritization and, you know, development of, of uh, you know, task forces, sorry, task forces to, you know, try to develop you know, policies to implement things, but it's really still in its infancy. Uh, I think, uh, you know, probably the most important thing that, that I'm striving to do right now is ensure that people um, and, you know, students, residents understand this is a priority, right? Mm-hmm. That, um, that, you know, they do have allies within, you know, the administration in our division um, who fully support, um you know, sort of these decisions that they make, right? Like if a resident comes to me and, and says, you know, here, you know, here's my situation. I'm, I'm going to be having a baby uh, six months down the line. I, and, and, you know, I, I want to, you know, plan my training um, so that I can do both effectively 
mm-hmm. I, I say to them, well, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's make sure that we've got flexibility in your training to ensure that you can, you can both be a, you know, a fantastic surgeon as well as a parent at the same time. That's incredible, honestly. And I hope our listeners are taking note of the, the changes that are, as you said, still in their infancy, but I think it, it, it takes time for those changes to be implemented and having people that are supporting you is so critical. So um, yeah, thank you for sharing your perspectives on that. Um, you mentioned that you have two children. So how old are they now? They are, they're adults, 25 and 27. Okay. And are they close by to where you are in Toronto or? My son's very close by. He's in fact, just down the hallway uh, in his bedroom. He's the younger one. Uh, My daughter lives in Guelph and she's going to be uh, moving to Aurelia within the next, uh, within the next few weeks to um, uh, take up uh, her, her boyfriend has just been accepted to teacher's college. So they're moving there um, with the expectation of being there for a few years. Amazing. Um, when you think back to when they were younger, um, what were some unexpected challenges of being a parent that maybe you didn't, you know, expect at that time and then kind of hit you like a truck? <laughs> oh boy, that's a great question. So let me, I'll, I'll tell you a, um, yeah, I'll tell you an interesting story, you know, for example, of, of how, you know, sort of being out of touch to some extent did affect me. So, you know, um, my wife was the one who, you know, obviously you know, at that time, because of my commitments and being out of the house so early as a resident, you know, did the the day to day activities with um, with our kids, got them ready for school and, and that sort of thing. Well, there was this one time where um, she was away on a on a trip and I was responsible for getting the kids off to school. And uh, so I made lunch for my daughter and um, and uh made her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich so i said oh that's all all kids love peanut butter and jelly and you know later that day we we got this i think my wife got a call from the school saying how are you sending your daughter to school with peanut butter don't you know kids are allergic to peanut butter and and you know it's like completely verboten and and forbidden and you know so (laughs) these are sort of things that that you know i i really wasn't aware of right these are Mm -hmm. sort of new things that have come out, uh, you know, certainly from since when I was a kid. And uh, so I, I, it sort of impressed on me that, you know, I've got to be a little bit more attentive and, um, and, and alert to, you know, what are the, the current challenges of, of bringing up kids and things are things are changing all the time. So that was a, that was a bit of an eye opener for me. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. I guess because now they're adults, how have their perspectives on your career and knowing that, you know, sometimes you won't be home or, you know, sometimes there are sacrifices to be made. How have their perspectives changed over time? Yeah. Um, so the, I guess the first thing I'm going to say, and this is what I encourage all our residents is to uh, ensure that, you know, you do set aside, prioritize time. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when the kids see that, then they are probably, you know, more, more willing to accept, you know, that there may be periods of time where, where you're just not available. Right. So, um, you know, what, what did I do when I was, uh, you know, when my son was about eight years old, um, he had been playing hockey and then he, he said that he wanted to quit. Mm. And I said, well, okay, well, what are you going to do then? You, you know, we got to do something with your time. 
And um, I said, well, what if I coach? And he said, okay, yeah, then I'll play. And so for the next 10 years, I coached, uh, I coached hockey and um, I ended up coaching. He played on two teams. I coached both teams. Um, And, you know, I I realized that, you know, here was an opportunity for priority time. Um, It was set scheduled opportunities. And so, you know, I I made a conscious decision to sort of say, okay, regardless of what I was doing um, at work and, and, you know, unless I was dealing with an emergency, but regardless of what I was doing, that was, that was time for, you know, for my son, for the, you know, obviously my wife came to all the games and so on. So um, I set that aside as a priority. If I was in a meeting or if I had some commitment um, and I'd look at my watch and I'd say, okay, I have to go because I have to get to the arena to coach hockey. So um, I ensured that was a priority. So, you know, I think, um, you know, maybe early on based on that, that uh, quote that I said from my young son previously, they, you know, weren't, weren't entirely understanding of, um, of what my priorities were, I think, because they saw me, um, you know, making some efforts to, you know, ensure that I spent some protected time with them, they came to understand uh, that, uh, yeah, that, that I do have, you know, obviously, these large commitments at work, uh, yeah. and they're willing to sort of meet me in the middle. Yeah. Um, what has been the best part of being a parent to your adult children now or your young children back then? <laughs> so, I mean, some of the, some of the activities, um, that, you know, we do together, uh, you know, have been amazing. We all love travel and, um, you know, that's a nice thing about being a, you know, physician is that, you know, you, you, you can travel a fair amount, you know, you've got the, the wherewithal, um, uh, to, you know, sort of set your own schedule and, and be able to afford to take trips. So it, we just have phenomenal memories of, of traveling all over the world. You know, I did my fellowship in the UK. And uh, so my kids were three and five when we went over there. And so we, you know, traveled all around the UK. We traveled to Europe, we traveled to wow. the Canary Islands, all kinds of things like that. Since we've since we've been back and I've been working, you know, we've taken them on tons of trips, um, you know, oftentimes uh, coinciding with with conferences and meetings, but it still is an opportunity, you know, for them to see parts of the world that that they otherwise wouldn't get to see. So, you know, I've been to Alaska a couple of times to, you know, all over Europe to um, to to Japan, China, like you name it. We've been we've been almost everywhere with them. And it's, it's just a phenomenal experience to be able to share with your kids. We ask all our guests this, if you had a magic wand and could go back and change anything about your journey thus far, would you and why? I'm in some ways jealous of uh, of the priorities um, that we have set for our trainees uh, Mm -hmm. today and ensuring that that time is set aside for for family life and and time outside of work. Right. So. Um, you know, we've, we've mandated to our trainees that, um, that they have to go home post-call and sounds, you know, I mean, that's, that's the rule in the past, um, you know, it wasn't a rule or if it was a rule, it wasn't enforced. Right. So, so, you know, we have said, look, um, if we see in the hospital post-call, you're going to get asked to leave. Right. And it's not, it's not punitive. It's just to ensure that everybody's focusing on their, on their health and well-being, and part yeah. of that is is attentive to their own families. So, 
Um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, if I'd had the opportunity to do it again, I would love to train today in a, in a situation or in a, in an environment where, um, where physician health and well-being is really prioritized like it wasn't prioritized 25 years ago. Is there any advice you have for those medical trainees that might be medical students or residents or maybe even physicians that are early on in their career that you'd like to impart to our listeners? Yeah, I, I think um, there are people that that probably do still think that this is a bit of a taboo topic, right? And they yep. don't want to they don't want to bring it up with uh, you know with their programs, with their supervisors, with their program directors, anything like that. Um, and and I, I really want to sort of dispel sort of the myth that, that um, you know, parenthood and, and attention to family um, is not valued by certainly people in the surgical, uh, in the surgical disciplines. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's very old school thinking. And so, you know, I, I really, really would encourage people to have a very early conversation with people that are in, in you know, responsible for their training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if somebody is entering training and, and, you know, they're thinking at some point they, uh, you know, want to start a family within, within a couple of years of entering training, they should have that discussion with their, with their program director right off the bat. Yeah. Um, I'd say program directors are welcoming to these discussions and, and there's no doubt that, Training today is is flexible enough that this can be incorporated into it. So uh, I think that you know this should be welcomed. This should be uh, this should be encouraged. Um, I, I think you know having having uh, you know starting a family during training. Um, you know I, I don't think it's going to be much different than starting it during practice. Um, you know, a little bit in terms of the obligations, taking examination, that sort of thing need to be considered. But, you know, I, I don't think people need to sort of say, well, I'm going to wait till I get into practice to start a family, right? Like, I think if the time is right for you, when you're a trainee, you should absolutely do it. Our last question for you, in the name of the podcast, Dr. Ferguson, are you thriving or surviving? Oh, <laughs> that's a good, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say as a trainee uh, and probably early in my career, uh, I was, uh, I was surviving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say at this point in time now that I, I've moved on to thriving. This concludes episode 17. We just want to give you another thank you on behalf of the entire team at familyplanningfordocs.com. It was an absolute pleasure chatting with you and hearing your perspectives. You can find our guests' contact information in the notes from today's show. This is Dr. Ferguson and Radha signing off. Thanks very much. 